0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Staying in in here with us invites you to open your Bibles or look there in your bulletin Uh, to Acts chapter 6, and then 1 Timothy 3. Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3. See you, Cora. So there's this uh, makeup store uh, down at the Renaissance Shopping Center uh, down in Jackson that uh, me and probably most men try to avoid at all costs but sometimes uh, Annie wants me to help her pick out a perfume that I also like. And so, um, men, if you've ever gone in there to do this, which surely I'm not the only one. Maybe I am. I don't know. Um, You know, you go in there and you start, you want to do a good job, right? So you start spraying the samples and you spray and smell and spray and smell and everything's going great until like the 10th spray, right? The 10th sample. And Uh, At that point, like, all the smells are all just jumbled together in the air, and it it all smells the same, right? Um, Anything that makes that given perfume distinct is just kind of lost in just the mass that is Sephora. And, uh, you know, they offer these little, you know, coffee beans and things to, you know, you smell, and it kind of cleanses your nasal palate, right? And... um, but but sometimes like you go in there and it just smells like Sephora, like all the all the like all the perfumes. It just smells like the store, and so sometimes you just have to walk out and like reset <laughs> before you go back in. Um, okay, that is kind of what this series is, is meant to be. Um, this this series is meant to be a a, a palate cleanser, so to speak. Uh, because we live in a world in which everybody has an idea of what a church should be, and everybody has some idea of what a church leader should be. And yet so often, all these ideas can get so jumbled up into like, our worldly thoughts of leaders and our worldly thoughts of the church, that sometimes what makes a, the, a biblical church and a biblical leader distinct from the rest of the world, it kind of just gets gobbled up. And so we need to um, to go to God's Word and... Take a big whiff of the coffee beans, so to speak, that's found there and be recalibrated back to the gospel. Because a gospel church and gospel leaders are different than what we may think. And so we need God to, uh, to show us what church is, what the leaders we need look like. And so last week we saw God's description of the elders we need in the church. And so today we're going to conclude our, our three-part family meeting series by looking at what God tells us about deacons. Um, And you know, it's tempting, I think we've mentioned this before, it's it's tempting to view the deacons kind of like, they're kind of like the minor league farm system of the church, that uh, if they're really good deacons, and if they really prove themselves, then one day maybe they can ascend the heights, and they can get called up to the bigs, right? They can be an elder one day. Okay, the Bible doesn't describe it that way, like at all. Um, besides, and we know this, like, elders aren't in the big leagues, like, there, there's only one big leaguer, and it's Jesus, and we all, we all serve under the big leaguer. Um, so the Bible doesn't describe it that way. No, a deacon in the Bible is a completely separate office, office with its own dignity, its own calling, and its own unique gifting. So it's, it's a completely separate thing. And, and so, yes, of course, I mean, some deacons may very well become elders in the future, but... The best deacons could best serve the kingdom and the church by remaining deacons the rest of their lives. Because that is the work or the service to the Lord that they feel the most alive offering. And so, I, just, I hope at Westminster we don't have this, this concept that, Oh, the good deacons, man, they need to be elders. No, maybe the good deacons just need to be deacons. Maybe, maybe that's how we'd be the best church. Um, So the office of deacon is vitally important. Actually, it's necessary for a church to be healthy. And so uh, we're going to try to unpack that today. So before we get too far, let's pray, uh, and then we'll dive into God's Word and see what He has to teach us about deacons. So let's pray. Father, in the words of the psalmist, the sum of your Word is truth. And so this morning, as we come to it, may we rejoice at your word like one who finds treasure, like Eureka. (laughs) This is beautiful. Father, we hate lies, but we love your law. So Lord, may through your spirit you come, show us truth, and may we be changed by it. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Acts 6, 1 through 7, and then we'll skip down to 1 Timothy 3. It's just God's word. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. First Timothy 3. Deacons likewise must be dignified. Not double-tongued. Not addicted to much wine. Not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It's just God's Word. Two questions we're going to try to answer this morning. First question is, what does an elder, what does a deacon do? Uh, What is the job of a deacon? And then the second question is, okay, well, who is a deacon? What's the description of a deacon? So what does a deacon do? Who is a deacon? Um, First, you know, when it comes to defining what a deacon does, we've got to go back to the first time we see a deacon in the Bible and Uh, So at this point in Acts 6, Jesus had just ascended into heaven. Uh, Peter had just preached his famous sermon at Pentecost. And and the Spirit's on the move, right? The the church was was growing like crazy. And you you know how a lot of Christians maybe were tempted to have this nostalgia for the early church that we just got to go back and be like the early church because they had it all figured out? Well, but what you realize is once you actually study the early church, is they were a mess just like us. You know, the the reason Paul wrote so many letters was because there were so many problems in in, in the early church. Um, So they were a mess, uh, just like us. I mean, mean, the only way to explain the success of the early church, uh, really in the church today, right, is the power of the resurrection and, and just the sheer grace of God. Because from the very, very beginning, Satan tried all sorts of tactics to kill the church. You know, attacks from without through persecution and threats and arrest Um, and then attached from within. You know, this is just after uh, Ananias and Sapphira. You know, that's a way to really grow your church, right? Have a member just die, just fall out for disobedience, right? Um, That had just happened. And by the time of Acts 6, the church was barely out of the gate, and yet we already see complaints. There's already murmurings and division between the members. And so what was the complaint? Well, it's, it's, it's the complaint that's literally as old as the church of Jesus Christ. It's, um, why aren't the elders doing their job? And y'all have probably heard that complaint before, right? Why aren't the elders doing their stinking job? It, it, there are people who are in need that they aren't caring for. There's people who are falling through the cracks that are getting, being overlooked, and it got so bad that this complaint and this problem it caused so much drama that the apostles decided that they were going to call the, the first congregational meeting to address it. And, and here's the background of the meeting. So at this point in the church, we, we, we know that all like at this point, all the, the members were converted Jews at this point. Everybody in the church was a converted Jew, but some were Heba- Hebraic Jews and, and some were Hellenistic Jews. And and these, though they're all Jews, there are huge differences in the Jewishness. Um, So the apostles, you know, they were all Hebrews, which means they were uh, Jews who viewed themselves as properly Jewish. You know, they were from Israel. They spoke Aramaic. uh, They knew Hebrew. They were typically more rural, uh, very conservative uh, people. While on on the other hand, the Hellenistic Jews... I mean, they were from all over the place. They were much more worldly. Um, they were much more urban, more metro. I mean, they'd seen the big city lights. And they didn't really know Hebrew necessarily, but they spoke the language of the day, uh, which was Greek. And as you read Scripture, you can kind of get the, a read on the room that the early church, they kind of saw the Hebrew Jews as really kind of the A-team. You know, they're the insiders. They're kind of the original core team of the church. Um, they're the ones who God really loves. And, and then the, the Hellenistic Jews, they're kind of second-rate. They're just kind of, I mean, they're members, but they don't really kind of fit in, right? And so, in fact, the Pharisees saw the Hellenistic Jews as just sellouts. They, they saw them as half-breeds. And because of this, prior to the church, these two, the Hebrew and Hellenistic Jews, like they didn't really cross paths that much. They, they stayed on their own sides of town. They spoke different. They, uh, they worshipped differently. They lived differently. And so one, one person said that it'd be like having a church where half of the members were Amish and the other half were Christians from San Francisco. I mean, can you imagine that? Um, you know, some of them listen to Travis Tritt. Some of them listen to Travis Scott. Um, look, we could, it, look, tons of differences. Tons of differences. Um, and, and yet, instead of fracturing off in various congregations where we're going to do it this way, or we're going to do it this way, or we're going to do it this way, um, and doing their own thing, the Bible says, <laughs> welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. And so in the middle of that, a, a complaint came from the Hellenistic Jews saying that the Hebrew widows were getting all the food. They're getting all the attention from the, the, the elders, from the apostles. You know. And so while their widows, while their members who were in need were getting shorted. And, and again, look, the early church wasn't perfect. It, they very likely were showing favoritism to their own people. That happens in churches that we have to fight. Um, they were likely neglecting some of their members. And so Acts 6 would have very likely been the, the story of the first church split uh, had not the apostles, by the, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, stepped in and they, they did something beautiful. You know, they could have said, all right, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to have a Hebrew congregation and we're going to have a, a Greek congregation and everybody just kind of take care of their own. But they didn't. To ensure that the needs were being met, and so that the, the elders, or we could say the apostles in this case, could better focus on their, as we saw last week, their ruling, teaching, and shepherding role. They appointed seven godly men to organize and to take care of the food distribution. And, and what's more is this wasn't just the good old boys club where the Hebrew, the Hebrew guys elected more Hebrew guys to just do Hebrew stuff with. No, you'll see here that all of the deacons were Greek. They all had Greek names. And so the Hebrew apostles and the Hebrew members of the church empowered the Greek deacons, the Greek members, because they knew the church couldn't go to the world without them. So they needed each other. Okay, and here's the the big point here. The office of deacon didn't just come about because like, all right, we need another office to kind of like give some of these other people some some responsibility. No, the, the office of deacon came out of a need So an elder serves the role of leader in the church the same way Jesus is the leader, and a deacon serves the role of servant in the church the same way Jesus was the servant. Uh, The problem is Jesus is God, and Jesus is the only one who has all the gifts, all the abilities, and and we don't. And so for a church to be healthy, there's a division of labor. they're, They're both important. Both are important. And in Acts 6, we get the purest definition of what a deacon is. The, the Greek word here for deacon simply means servant, or you could say table waiter. Um, Phil Riken told the story of, of this person who was preparing to teach on deacons what a deacon is. And so in part of his preparation, they called the, uh, the Philadelphia Restaurant School and asked the director, what qualities do you look for in a good waiter? Like, what do you look for in a really good waiter? And the director said, above all else, a good waiter is someone who notices what people need and gives it to them before they even ask. You notice what somebody needs and you give it to them before they ask. Well, that's it. You know, in a nutshell, right? The work of a deacon is so much more than a monthly meeting where you sit around and you talk about a budget. Um, No, the office of deacon is one of service. It's, it's to be amongst the members of the church. The office of a deacon is someone who notices, like you have an eye that you notice needs. Uh, you notice the physical and spiritual needs of the congregation, and it means serving people in tangible ways. It's dispensing God's grace as the hands and the feet of, of Jesus. Um, deacons check in on, and deacons care for, and deacons visit the sick and needy the shut-ins, the lonely. You know, like this COVID pandemic is open season for for diaconal work, like 100% open season. I think a lot of times churches um, kind of get in trouble because everybody assumes that all of that is the elder's job, when in reality, if you look at the Bible, it's really more kind of the job of the deacon to do a lot of that. Um, and of course, we all serve. We all reach out to each other. We want we another, one another. Um, but I do think that, and this is just my opinion, but I do think it's possible for churches to expect too much of their elders while expecting too little of their deacons. Um, yet deacons are the heartbeat of the church. Um, deacons get involved in the nitty-gritty. Uh, Sir William Ramsey wrote, he said, Now there can be no doubt that the work of deacons was more closely connected with the indoor and family life of members of the congregation than the work of elders. The deacons had more intimate duties in the administration of charity and help where it was needed. And so what he's saying is deacons lead the mercy ministry of the church. And now they they don't have to accomplish all of the mercy ministry by themselves, but they are responsible to make sure that it all gets done. Um, They lead that. And so in, in our church... And really, in the PCA denomination, um, aside from being tasked with, with meeting tangible needs in tangible ways, um, deacons are also responsible for the physical, uh, the physical building in which we, we meet to worship. Um, which means, uh, aside from maintenance and upkeep, um, that also means that the deacons are in charge of providing a safe place for us to worship. You know, that we can gather together and worship without the fear of... You know somebody coming in and calls in a scene or like we can go to the Lord with our need in safety. Uh, it also means ensuring the safety of our children you know in in our children's ministry, uh, the safety of our the safety of the flock uh, when we meet um, you know in our church though the budget and how our tithes and offerings are used is is approved finally by the elders the deacons really who oversee and manage the, um, the use of that budget. Um, in our church, uh, the deacons are also responsible for cultivating generosity within the congregation, um, which means it's showing the congregation ways that they can serve, making the, the congregation aware of things that they can, they can do. Uh, as the Book of Church Order puts it, it is the deacon's duty to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church. And, and I mean, look, there, there's so many other dimensions to a deacon. I mean, we, we could really talk about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, not, not least of which the fact that, you know, in the early church, the first missionaries, the first evangelists were deacons. I mean, there's so many aspects to the work of a deacon, to serving in tangible ways uh, the body of Christ. But in short, a deacon is someone who serves the church And then by word and then by example, teach the church how to serve as well. Uh, So the chief servants of of the church. And what's beautiful there at the the end of Acts 6, what we read, uh, it says that, and the priest, the priest started to believe. Because up until that point, it was only the priest's job. So it was the the pastor did everything. You know, the, the priest did the preaching, they did the ministering of the Word, and they did all the mercy ministry, all the serving. And they saw the early church, were like, wow, all the members pitching together to do all this? And the priest started believing, because it was, it was beautiful. Okay, so in, in a nutshell, that's what a deacon does. All right, second question, who is, a, who is a deacon? Well, like he did with elders, Paul makes a really huge deal about the character of a deacon. Um, there's this uh, video that's been going around. You know, Simon Sinek, you know, he, probably, he does these leadership talks at companies and things. Uh, Simon Sinek is, is talking about um, how he did some work with the Navy SEALs at one point, and he was asking them a question like, okay, how do y'all, once the people have, have passed BUDS and they've become a Navy SEAL, how do you decide which team to put them on? Like, How, how do you decide which SEAL gets assigned to the most prestigious SEAL team? And uh, they, they drew a, a graph for him, and on one axis it was performance, and on one axis it was trust. And he said, obviously, everybody wants a high-performance, high-trust person. Everybody wants that person. Um, but sometimes this person doesn't exist. And then they, they drew this other person over here who is the high-performing, low-trust Person, he said, that's, a, that's what you would call a toxic leader. They have a way of getting to the top of organizations, but you can't trust them. They're a toxic leader. But he said what the SEALs found was that, that they, would, uh, they would forfeit a little bit of performance. They would rather take a high-trust medium performer or really even a, a high-trust low performer. They would trust them on their SEALs team over, other than you know, this guy over here. And so in the same way, it's not really about your abilities, your performance, but with the deacon, it is all about trust. High, high level of trust. So Paul begins, and again, these qualities are, are qualities that have been spirit wrought in response to God's gracious love to them in Jesus. These are things that flow out, which means deacons are better caught than they are taught. And, and there's, look, there's a lot of overlap in the qualities between last week and this week, so we're going to skip some of the things that we we touched on last week. But Paul begins saying a deacon must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, double tongue just means to be a double talker. Um, it, it means to it means you, you tell one person one thing, and then you tell another person another thing, and then another thing, and Who knows what you really, really believe or or think? Um, You know, this is really a call to fear. Well, this is a particular struggle with people who fear man. Uh, This is a particular temptation for people who want to people please. And so this is a call for us to fear man more than we fear God. And it's to be just a a straight talker. I I think we said this before, Will Rogers uh, said, A deacon is a man who's not afraid to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Uh, Phil Rikens said, the word of a deacon ought to be one of the strongest guarantees in the church, that when a deacon tells you they're going to do something, that, that is like it's sealed. Uh, it is essentially crucial too, right? Because often deacons are involved in people's private affairs. You know, often deacons, they come into these very delicate situations in our lives, and they see us at our worst, at our, our lowest and so they need to be trusted not to run their mouths. And you deacons know that serving a brother or sister in need is a sacred thing. And they wouldn't dare. They wouldn't dare blabber about it. I mean, it's, it's, they want to honor honor that person. Paul continues, deacons are not greedy for dishonest gain. In other words, they're not looking for ways to, get, to game the system. Uh, uh, you know, as mentioned, deacons are in charge often of the finances of the church and or at least the stewardship of 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 those finances. And so which means that they're the first ones who get their hands on it. And often they get they get their hands on it in private. And as members, you know, we we tithe and we give our our tithes and offerings to the church in good faith that 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 our gifts, as as William mentioned this morning, that our our gifts are going to be used for the kingdom. That these checks that we're writing, that's going to be used for the building up of souls and for ministry. And so a dishonest deacon with sticky fingers can cause us to question that, right? Um, which can be so destructive to a church. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And you know we've, we've got to squat. This notion that the, that the elder is the only one who needs to know anything about theology. And deacons, like, as long as you can like pass an off and play, you're in, right? Uh, no, no, deacons too need to know the gospel. They need to believe the gospel and then live that gospel out with a clear conscience, which means the gospel of grace has so penetrated their, their heart. That it doesn't remain intellectual. That it doesn't remain in this, like, this is kind of like the religious life of the deacon. No, like, it, it comes out in, in all of life. It informs your life. And then, as we, we mentioned, we would tell on this last week, but Paul hones in on the deacon's home life. And, and by the way, we probably need to camp out here just for a second, because like, this qualification is so it's so countercultural, isn't it? I mean, it's not even funny it's so countercultural. Because like today, like, who cares what your home life is like? You know, in, in what job are you, you're not allowed to do the job because your kids are a little, little crazy? Um, like, who cares? As long as you can do the job, like what does that have to do with, like what is your home life, your family life, what does that have to do with your ability to actually do your job? Well, Paul says, when it comes to the church, it has a lot to do with it. Like everything to do with it. Because again, when it comes to church offices, it's about godly character. And where is character most easily seen? Uh, it's seen in the family. And so Paul says it's the family. It's not your fancy MBA. But it's the family that is the proving ground for leadership in the church. Your leadership skills. And so a church officer isn't like talkative in Pilgrim's Progress, where this is a man who's a saint abroad, but a devil at home, right? Um, so is the officer that you want to nominate, is it someone that you know to be present in the home, who leads their home, who manages their household? And what, what household means is that just that reaches out to all aspects of, of house, you know, of, of finances kids just everything everything and this is important because we've got this you know we've got this peter pan thing going on with men in america today right uh we just don't want to grow up and i'll throw myself under the bus like we don't really want responsibility um a lot of men would just rather play you know and Paul's not, look, Paul's not saying deacons can't have fun. Like, I, I wish that we would have more fun at Westminster. Um, no, no, he's saying, look, just remember your first calling. That the officers that we need, the officers we need are those who care deeply about the souls of their kids. Because if you don't care about the souls of your own kids, if you're not teaching them and raising them in the way of Jesus, like, uh, if you're not doing that with your own kids, then how can we trust these leaders to care about the kids of our church? And these are spiritual offices after all. Again, this, like if you can take up an offering plate and you can usher, then, I mean, that's, it's it's awesome that you're gifted to hospitality, but these are spiritual offices, which means why are you doing that? Like, why are we showing hospitality? Why are we dispensing mercy? And then Paul mentions. Uh, this interesting phrase or interesting verse, he mentions the wives or the women connected to the mercy ministry of the church. And, and this verse here has its own rich background in uh, the early church, uh, the Bible, and in church history. It really, honestly, we should probably do it have its own sermon. Uh, but for now, just for where we are today, like set aside the arguments that are out there of, okay, is Paul talking about the literal wives of deacons? Um, or is he talking about women who help assist in the diaconal ministry of the church? Or is Paul making the case for deaconesses in the church? Um, that, that's probably something for us to go in deeper at another time. But regardless of which camp you fall into of this verse, it just in, in, a, in a nutshell, Paul's saying deacons don't hold the monopoly on mercy ministry. He's saying there will be many occasions in which women can serve and dispense mercy in a way that a male deacon cannot. Um, that, that for a church to be healthy, women will be active in the ministry of service uh, in that church. And so what he's, Paul's saying is as women assist the deacons, as women are doing this ministry of mercy, Paul lays out some qualifications for that, some things you need to be mindful of. Verse 11, he says, they must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And so, ladies, what he's saying is is there will be many times that as as you're helping, and you all have seen this, I'm sure, countless times, as you're helping serve the church or serve someone in the church in some way, then you're going to go and minister, offer service to a very delicate situation You know, to a brother or sister in a really hard hard situation. And Paul is saying that you too need to be trusted not to run your mouth. (laughs) You too need to be trusted not to gossip. You too, you treat that situation with great care and great grace and with discretion. Um, Again, it's, it's a sacred thing to care for someone in need. So deaconing is tough. And because of the nature of service and meeting needs over and over and over and over again, because we're such a needy people, it's very possible to develop compassion fatigue, just to get just to get tired and burned out of deaconing. Uh, it's easy to be discouraged, and, and perhaps that's why the biblical qualifications end with this encouraging promise to deacons. It's so beautiful. It's really two things. One, is though he's saying much of your service that you do is going to be done in private. You know, that's the, the beauty of really the elders and deacons is so much of what you do, nobody else in the church ever knows about it. Um, and you could say the case with elders, if the whole church does know about it, that means it probably hasn't been shepherded that well. <laughs> um, so there's going to be so many ways you serve the church that nobody even knows what you did. But what this promise says is, but there is one who does know. God knows. God sees. God knows what you do. He notices what you're doing for the church. And then the second promise is, as you serve up grace to others through mercy, as you serve up grace to others, it will grow your confidence. It will actually grow your faith in God's grace to you in Jesus. And so it's this wonderful thing that happens as you... As you serve the Lord in that way. So beautiful promises to our deacons. And then uh, finally, we we can't close without noting that the office of deacon, it points us back to Jesus, doesn't it? Again, the office of deacon isn't a less than office. We know that the gospel goes out in word and in deed, right? In fact, when it came time for Jesus to lay out His purpose, like this is Jesus' purpose statement, when it came time for Jesus to tell us what He was about, in Mark, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon, and to give His life as a ransom for many. I mean, the greatest act of service that God has rendered in history Was his act of service through sacrifice on the cross? You know, Jesus entered into um, our, we, we may call it, very delicate situation. And Jesus noticed what we needed, and he gave us what we needed. He gave soul care, you know, in a very tangible way. And so as Jesus lived, and as he died, and as he rose, and now as he is, you know, he's interceding for us even now. He knows exactly what we need. You know, you consider Him that waiter that knows what you need, gives you what you need before you even ask. Like He knows your needs. And so in our need of forgiveness, He came and He served us up with God's grace. And so the gospel invites you to be deaconed, to be served by the great deacon, Jesus. And then having been served by Him, he then calls his people and equips his people to do likewise. And Westminster, I mean, those, those people are, are the deacons we need. Amen. Amen. Well, look, as we, we, we close down this series, we've looked at the church, uh, we've looked at elders, we've looked at deacons. Um, as I mentioned in the announcements, uh, as of this second right now, uh, we're, we're opening up the nominating period so it's going to be a four a four week period starting right this second um in which uh just can pray and talk to other members talk to your family um and if you have someone that you would like to nominate to the office of elder or deacon our clerk john downs um and just say hey this is who i want to nominate this is to the office I want to nominate, and we'll get back. Uh, we'll, we'll begin that process. Sound good? Everybody good on that? Okay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the, our king. Uh, you are our shepherd, our brother, our friend, but you are also the great deacon. Uh, Lord, give us faith to see, uh, and to believe your service to us. Give us the hope of the gospel. Uh, Lord, may you uh, be with people with heavy hearts and confused minds. We ask that you would be with the sick, the the widows, uh, those who don't have any friends, uh, those who are shut-ins, those people who um, we are called to serve. Lord, I ask that you would give them comfort and that you would make us a church who meets their needs and that they would see you through us serving them. And Lord, now as we, uh, we enter this time of, of pondering and nominating, um, Lord, we ask that you would grow up healthy leaders here, elders and deacons who love this church, who love your kingdom uh, and long to see it healthy. So Lord, I pray that you would make us a healthy church, Lord. Uh, may we continue to come back to you, back to the gospel. And Lord, set us apart uh, from other churches that just walk other ways. Um, may we have the fragrance of your gospel of grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is, or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.